I remember growing up that you, you'd make that stink face and then someone would say, your face is going to get stuck like that one day, right? I'd rather get stuck with a smile on my face. <laughs> it is great to see you here tonight, both members and, and our visitors. Thank you for attending this evening to worship our great and awesome God. Let's go to God in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, hallowed be your great and awesome name. Thank you so very much for loving us and for being patient with us and giving us your grace and mercy in Jesus, your great son. Thank you for that sacrifice made in our behalf. Please forgive us, Lord God, we wronged you. Help us in this worship to keep our minds focused wholly on you. It's in that wonderful name of Jesus Christ we pray and thank thee for be thy will. Amen. So one of the uh, great stories of the Bible, uh, a live and living and truthful account of the Saul, the Apostle Paul, who was known as Saul. And it's one of those great transformational type sermons. I think we all could, uh, we can go into the lives of the members of the church, and I bet there are some great, powerful, transformational stories that we can think about. But as you think about a transformational story, my account, your account, how you came to Christ, I think more than me, more than my story, is the patience, the grace, and the love of God, right, that he displayed for us uh, as he waited for us to, con- to conform our lives to him. So the great persecutor became one of the champions of the scriptures uh, in relationship to living for Christ. I'm going to Romans chapter 10 because Saul gives us a, a comparative scripture of his response to Christ and Christianity uh, and the response of others. Romans 10, brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is this, for their salvation. For I bear them witness that they have zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. Now Paul says that, we're going to Acts chapter 26, in contrast to his response to the call of God. In Acts 26, beginning at verse 19, Paul, speaking to Agrippa, says, Consequently, King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision, but kept declaring both to those of Damascus first, and also at Jerusalem, and then throughout all the region of Judea, and even to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. And so, so that's the difference between Saul and many or most of the Pharisees and Sadducees, those of the Sanhedrin, those of that particular persuasion or group of the Jews. So let's go back to Acts chapter 5. I want to look through the book of Acts and look at Saul, only Saul in his life prior to his Christian walk. So Gamaliel is one of the great or best known Pharisaic rabbis, if you will, teachers uh, in, in Christianity's beginning. And Gamaliel in Acts 5 and verse 34 stands up with a group of uh, Pharisees and Sadducees, persecutors of the church, to make a statement about why they shouldn't 
uh, continuing their persecution uh, uh, with the disciples or the apostles at this point. In Acts 5, in verse 34, the Bible says, But a certain Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood up in the council and gave orders to put the men outside for a short time. And so they had a council and had a meeting. But I want to grab who Gamaliel was. So he was one of those doctors, some of the text will say, the doctors of the law. And Paul says that man Gamaliel, Acts 22, was a man who was his teacher. Right, And he taught him how to obey the law, but he taught him how to be a Pharisee. <laughs> right? Acts 22, in, in verse 1, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense, which I now offer to you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew dialect, they became even more quiet and said, I am a Jew born of Tarsus, Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, just as you are today. And so he brings up Gamaliel because he was, again, a very respected teacher of the day, right? And this is where Saul received his education. And Saul was zealous for, for God in that day. And if you continue on down to verse 25, we find also that, that Saul was a Roman citizen. Beginning at verse 25, And when they, stretched, um, when they stretched him out with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man who was a Roman and uncondemned? And when the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and told him, saying, uh, What are you about to do for this man is a Roman? And then the commander came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman? And he said, Yes. And the commander uh, answered and acquired, that I acquired this citizenship with a large sum of money. And Paul said, But I was actually born a citizen. So Saul is a, is a Roman citizen. I want to come back and grab that uh, in just a second. Saul was zealous for the Lord before his conversion. So you kind of would you know, get an idea that, yeah, um, then he would be a persecutor, if you will, of the church. Had he, what would have happened if he just understood? What would have Gamaliel done if he understood the scriptures? Well, we, we, we know the end, right? Matthew 25. But I want us to look at and think about what, what Saul was being taught. Okay? He was determined to end Christianity. Most of the Pharisees were, were this is important, they were disobedient to God. They were against Jesus because when Jesus came and teaching uh, the powerful lessons, this is something that Jesus was dealing with. Look at verse uh, Matthew 25, beginning at verse, I mean, excuse me, Matthew 15, uh, beginning at verse 1. Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem saying, why do your disciples transgress the tradition, right? The tradi this is the problem, right? the traditions of their elders. For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and said to them, And why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? So they were using, they were following tradition, and tr tradition superseded the Scriptures. That's always wrong, right? In the church today, if we allow a tradition to, um, 
to be bound on someone. We can't do that, right? Traditions are not the same as doctrine. Well, Jesus had something to say. Now, in verse 9, Jesus says, But in vain do you worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. So, you know, a tradition, they had traditions then, that they were binding on people. So Saul, if you will, learned some of those traditions. And he followed some of those traditions. Philippians, please, chapter 3. So then you have this Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin would have been a, a council of the Jews, and, and, and probably Saul was a member of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin, um, these Jewish leaders, Pharisees, Sadducees, and the list goes on. Uh, Philippians 3, 5, Paul says, I was circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. And by the way, it's interesting when he says, as to the law, that doesn't, doesn't mean the Bible, that God said, I want some of you to be Pharisees, and I want some of you to be Sadducees. They formed that group on their own, right, amongst the Hebrews, amongst the Jews. Saul was a Pharisee. Now, look at what the Pharisees did. John chapter, uh, chapter 18. And what, what you could do is you could liken... I know some of the church members might not like to hear this, but you can liken the Pharisees and the Sadducees to Republican and Democrat today. It's like bringing, it's like bringing your own laws, right? Man-made laws and, and things of that sort into the church. You're not supposed to do that. We're never supposed to do that. And so that's what they became. And so they became these two groups who were opposed to each other. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection or angels or spirits. And, and there was this conflict. And yet, and yet they came together for the purpose of the execution of Jesus Christ. They wanted Jesus dead. Right? So John chapter, chapter 18, we relearn that the reason that the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, the reason they could not kill Jesus because it's Roman law. They couldn't do it, right? So John 18 and verse 31, uh, the Bible says, Pilate therefore said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews said to him, We are not permitted to put anyone to death, right? And so here's that, that death sentence placed on Jesus from the Pharisees and the Sadducees, or the group, if you will, combined together parts of the Sanhedrin, and in Acts 19 and verse 15, uh, they therefore cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. They were very political people, right? Bad, right, for, for, for uh, that particular uh, day. So, so Saul would have been among them somewhere, Okay. He would have been among them in some way and in some sense somewhere. But he's not mentioned to us uh, in the Scriptures. I'm going back to Acts chapter 5, back to Gamaliel for just, just a moment. The Jewish leaders wanted Christians dead, or at least the movement stopped. Now remember that John tells us in John 11 that they didn't want to lose their nation, right? The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin didn't want to lose their political position with Rome. And so Jesus was getting in the way. And uh, like James said in his lesson this morning, what do you do to, with, with the person that won't stop talking? Uh, you, you bind him, you lock him up, or you kill him. 
And so Jesus obviously would not stop preaching now. The, the apostles are continuing to preach the message of Jesus, and the message of Jesus uh, is in accordance to the Old Testament law. It is fulfillment of all the prophetical messages, and yet they wanted them to stop because people were leaving Judaism and, uh, and, and conforming to Christianity, right? And Saul was one of those people who later would conform. All right, Acts 5, picking this account up back with Gamaliel, uh, beginning at verse 30. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as prince and savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Now the problem is, is that Jesus hasn't gone away. Right? They, they wanted Jesus to go away. But his followers continue to preach what was true, and the Pharisees knew it was true, that Jesus was raised from the dead. Remember the account in Matthew 28 where the guards came and told the, the leaders, if you will, the Jewish nation, they told them what exactly happened. And then they gave them a sum of money to keep them, their mouths quiet and it spread a rumor that says some of his disciples came at night and stole the body away. And if this should happen to get to the ruler, the leader, the governor, we will we'll take care of it for you. Right. It didn't stop. Christianity continued to grow and increase. And this, this message continues to resonate in the ears of the leaders, even the Pharisees and Sadducees who no longer wanted to hear it. In verse 33, But when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and were intending to slay them. But a certain Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood up in the council and gave orders to put the men outside for a short time. And he gave them counsel saying, If this is not of God, it's going to be destroyed. It's going to go away. We don't have to kill them. But if it is of God, there's no way you can stop it. And they found out later that it was of God. It'll be interesting. The Bible doesn't tell us now. But it'll be interesting to, uh, to look back and to know how many Pharisees actually converted and came to Christ. And we know about Nicodemus in John chapter 3, where John says, we know that Jesus is from God. There's no way you can do the signs you do unless God's with you. There's no way. So it's not that they weren't talking about Jesus. They knew who Jesus was. Saw somewhere in the backgrounds among them, hearing Gamaliel teach about the prophecies that were uh, spoken of the Jesus, of the Christ, and, and, yet, and yet they wouldn't surrender. Now I want us to go all the way over to Acts 6, and I want us to pick up Saul um, through this synagogue, beginning, if you will, at, uh, at verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. But some men of what was called the synagogue of the freedmen. So these men, so, you know, when Pompey, 63 B.C., Pompey comes in and, uh, you know, he takes over the, the world. Now the Greeks, the Romans rather, are uh, in charge. And he enslaved, uh, you know, thousands of Jews. And so these Jews that we're talking about now, the synagogue of the freedmen, are, are men that sometime later... They were able to purchase their citizenship. So they lived there and their children were born there. And so Saul was born in this exact same area where this synagogue is. And so the assumption is that Saul being born there and living there uh, in this area was a man uh, who knew of or was a part of this particular synagogue. 
Now, now Acts chapter uh, uh, 8, I mean, excuse me, 6, continuing in verse 9, but some men of what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians and some of Cilicia and Asia, arose and argued with Stephen. But there was a problem. God was with Stephen, right? One of the men who were chosen, uh, the seven chosen in Acts 6. They were, verse 10, and yet they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly introduced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. Now, now realize that this is a trick of Satan, right? Lying is a trick of Satan, right? We never want to be accused of doing that or being on Satan's team, right? He's the father of lies. So they, they continue to, to, same thing at the trial of Jesus. The trial of Jesus, they paid worthless men to stand up and say, ah, we heard Jesus say, and now here they're trying the same exact, Satan works the same way, right? If you don't get anything else, get a lesson from that, that Satan works the same way over and over and time and time again. So they secretly induced these men. They got them to stand up against, against Stephen because they couldn't handle the truth, Right? And in verse 12 it says, And they stirred up the people, uh, the elders and the scribes, and they came uh, upon him and dragged him away and brought him before the council. And you know the rest of that account, that Stephen stands before the council and preaches a dynamic sermon, a great summary of the entire uh, Old Testament. But here's what's interesting. Verse, chapter 7, verse 1, And the high priest said, Are these things so? What, is what you're preaching, is it actually what you're saying to us today? And of course, he says, yes, it is. And he goes on and he preaches and summarizes the entire Old Testament, bringing them to the New. And then if you look at Acts chapter 8 and verse 1, this is why this scripture is, is there for us. Because Saul was a part, most likely, of this synagogue of the freedmen. So they recognized Saul standing wherever he was. Uh, and Saul was in hearty agreement with putting Stephen, putting him to death. And on that day, a great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And so that's why Saul appears with the synagogue of the freedmen. He's not just there, he's there for a reason, right? So here's Saul. Just imagine this man uh, in his heart and his mind uh, felt like it was his duty to, uh, to persecute the church, right? That was his, that was his duty, right? And in Acts 9, uh, beginning in verse 1, now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogue at Damascus, so as if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And I want us to grab... Paul's mind. What was Paul's mindset? Remember, he's studying under Gamaliel. He learned how to be a really good Pharisee. Right? And he stood, if you will, with Gamaliel, Acts 22. And he persecuted the church. What was going through his mind? So we go to his trial. Acts 22 and verse, verse 4. He says, I persecuted this way, the church, to the death binding and putting both men and women in the prisons. As also the high priest and all the council, the elders, can testify from them, I also received letters from, uh, to the brethren. 
and started off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. So the question, when you think about the laws of the, and we can go back into the Old Testament and look at the laws that God gave about uh, if anyone's leading you astray, what do you do with that individual? And, but you think Paul, being brought up under, under the teaching of Gamaliel, that somewhere, somebody would have gotten the message that uh, was echoed over and over again all through the Old Testament that Jesus the Messiah was going to come and that Jesus the Messiah uh, would, um, would, would change the world, right? And it would be according to the law when he raised up a man like, like Moses and that man would be found in Jesus Christ. You would think they would have investigated it and recognized that Jesus was doing everything the law, the Old Testament, and the prophetic messages, and the psalm declared about Jesus Christ. But even Gamaliel didn't see it. And since Gamaliel didn't see it, Saul didn't see it, right? So it's very important. We're very careful and cautious uh, about how we teach, right? Make sure that we teach what we understand, things we do not understand. You just don't talk on those subjects. Learn to grow and let someone else do it, maybe. Acts 26, verse 10. Still in the mind of Saul. Acts 26 and verse 10. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. So it wasn't just Stephen. So, you know, times have changed, right? At first the Jews were not allowed to put people to death, but later it came to where uh, Christians were, or rather the Jews and others, were allowed to put Christians to death. Remember the great persecution against the Christians with Nero and, and other things. So Paul says, or Saul rather, says, hey, I, I was there and I put many people uh, to death. And, and then he goes on in verse 11, and as I punished them often, in the, this is the part that really kind of gets me. Um, in all the synagogues, I tried to force them. And why would you, to blaspheme? Now that right there is an ultimate sin. That's an Old Testament sin, right? Remember when Moses, uh, there were some people that were, a man, who blasphemed the name of God, and they brought the man to Moses, and, and they said, what do we do with them? And they said, let's go to God and ask God uh, what we should do. And then God gave the, the, um, the punishment, and the punishment was you put them to death, right? No man is to blaspheme my name. That would be the same as us today even even using God's name in vain. It's kind of the same idea, if you will. And so, um, uh, so here Saul says, I'm trying to force them to blaspheme the name of God so I can kill them. Well, wait a minute. Well, that's, that's a pharisaical attitude, right? You're trying to cause them to sin so you can kill them? Well, isn't that a sin in itself? How can you call that righteousness? But whatever it is, whatever's going on, as I punish them often in all the synagogues, I try to force them to blaspheme and being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. And so, so, so Paul was zealous, convicted in a, in a very evil way. I mean, he was, he was he's, the text says, I was enraged at these people. And yet they were doing the right thing. Isn't it amazing how you can, you can be enraged at people who are doing the right thing and, and you not realize that they're doing what's right and your eyes are so closed and they're so blinded that, yeah, right? 
It'd be the same as, as someone making a, a rule or a binding law here, and then we're following that law, and then someone's a champion of that law that's not in the Bible. It's just what we do. And they become enraged at members that don't follow that law. It's not even in the Bible. Why would we follow that law? Well, here, here Saul, with a tremendous misunderstanding of what the law says about these Christians, is now is completely blind. Paul, Saul was blind before Jesus blinded him. <laughs> he was already blind. And look over at Acts 8. So here's our familiar passage, uh, beginning at verse 1, picking up after the stoning of Stephen. Uh, and Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, a great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout all the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men buried Stephen with, and made loud lamentations over him. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house and dragging off men and women, and he would put them into prison. Imagine being a child of God in that day. And what a struggle, right? Imagine that. And here's a man who's enraged. Here's a man who hates you because of what you believe in. And what you believe in is what the Bible says from beginning to end. You believe in what the truth is stated by God. You believe in the law of God, and he hates you for it. And yet he's one of the champions, one of the leaders of the, of the uh, Sanhedrin. He's one of the religious people who are supposed to know better. But he's blinded. He's blinded by his own understanding of the Scriptures, or should I say misunderstanding of the Scriptures, and, and look at what he's doing. Right? And that's why Jesus later says he's going to pay for what he's done. Right? Uh, but he needs to learn and be converted. We'll come to Paul um, in, our, in our next lesson. But here's what's interesting. Uh, in verse um, 1, and, and Saul was in hearty agreement with putting them to death. And on that day, a great persecution arose uh, against the church in Jerusalem, and they were scattered. And this is the part I want you to get. And they were scattered throughout all the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So they were scattered. Now go to Acts chapter 1. Look at the outline of the book of Acts. Acts 1 in verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. There are those places mentioned again, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. So what has God done? Here's what's amazing about God. Ironically, Saul's great uh, aim to persecute the church and kill, if you will, or destroy uh, the church. Jesus said he couldn't do it. Matthew 16. But it ended up fulfilling the will of God. You see, God needed to get these folks out of Jerusalem. And Saul, here's this champion uh, of, of persecution. Saul comes along, and, and then all of a sudden, in, in Acts chapter 8, exactly what God said would happen from Acts chapter 1, these folks would be scattered, and they'd go out, and guess what? The Word of God will be proclaimed throughout everywhere, even the remotest parts of the earth. In Acts 8 and verse 4, the Bible says to us that the apostles were not scattered, but in verse 4, therefore... Those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. That was not what Saul wanted them to do. Right? You can't stop Jesus. Right? And even though people try to stop Jesus, it's an absolute impossibility to stop Jesus. Let's make sure we're on his team. Amen, church? Right? Let's make sure we stay with him because what, is it, what do we know? We win. Right? We can't lose. Stick with Jesus and it's impossible for us to lose. So the man Saul, 
and let me use this for a transition scripture to bring us into Lord willing next week's lesson. Uh, the man Saul who attempted to tear down and destroy the church, Colossians chapter 1, that man Saul who it was his, his ambition uh, to destroy and stop what he thought was in error, when he woke up, he had to admit something to be true. And that is this. As Acts 1 says, they would go out and scatter the gospel. Saul, who is now Paul, says this by way of inspiration. Colossians 1.23 If indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. You know, what I tried to stop spread to the whole world. I really blew it. I blew it. And there's a scary scripture, right? Proverbs 16. You can go read it on your own. Verses 1 through 4. It talks about God working with man. And it says God uses both the righteous and the wicked to accomplish his will. And so God used Saul to spread the gospel, not to destroy it. So anytime someone comes along and they're trying to destroy or stop what God has uh, ordained or what God has commanded for us to do, just know that if that were so, that God will use that uh, to the benefit of the kingdom because this kingdom can never, ever be destroyed. And thank God for it. 2,000 years later almost, it's still here. It's going to be here until the Lord comes back. When the Lord comes back, are you ready? Are you in that position as a child of God so that when Jesus comes back, you'll be smiling. And you'll be rejoicing and as, as a, a simulated, if you will, a simulated thought in the Bible, as you're rising up, that you're looking down, not up. If you're looking up, you might say, uh-oh. <laughs> make, sure, make sure our lives are in line with Jesus so that we're looking down in the resurrection, going up to be with God forevermore. This morning, if you're not a, or this evening, if you're not a child of God, we uh, encourage you to surrender to him this evening. If you are struggling in your faith, we can pray with you or pray for you if there's something in need. Please make it known while together we stand and sing our song of invitation. Why don't you come?